Welcome to the Amazon Legends Podcast, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became powerful sellers, also experts specializing in helping sellers, and both former and current Amazon employees who will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here's your host, Nick Urison. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today is a TEDx speaker and a digital transformation expert specializing in travel industry. She worked for several multinational companies in travel space, airport, and duty-free stores. She's currently the CEO and founder of Wondersafe, which is a, a nonviolent personal safety device it's actually an ecosystem uh, that is for women and vulnerable people. When she's not working, she's passionate about fencing, currently training for Paralympics. Uh, as well as fencing, she likes to spend time with her teenage boy that is a recording artist and also her dog. So with that, everybody meet my guest, Stephanie Rodriguez. Welcome to the show, Stephanie. Thanks, Nick. Delighted to be here. So you are joining us from Australia, right? Yes, I'm in Sydney. Wow, that's this is this is a first for me to have a guest all the way from Australia. And that's where you reside, but your business is international, right? Yes, we're a US Delaware C corporation. But you know, the irony is that Nick, I'm in your future because we're ahead of you. So I can tell you the future is beautiful. <laughs> oh, I like, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's definitely, the, you know, future is always beautiful. You know why? Because we don't know it yet. <laughs> well, I know it. I'm, I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm in Wednesday. It's good. <laughs> but yeah, you, you know, it's, um, I went on a trip, which, which had 16 hour time difference. And it was, so when I was messaging my friends, I would say, you know, I'm messaging you from your future. <laughs> <So> <laughs> exactly. I know, I know exactly. So um, tell us, Stephanie, you have a, an incredible story. So for anybody listening, what you're going to hear in this episode is an incredible story of entrepreneurship, but most important, the, the soul of an entrepreneur and how an entrepreneur operates. And I've never, I've heard many stories and we all have our own and we have our challenges, but this one, so hold on to your seat. So with that, Stephanie, share with us how you got to create your product. Thanks, Nick. Well, it started in 2015 when I um, was in an elevator in Geneva working on a digital transformation project for the airport. And I arrived very late. I booked my hotel online and the, the elevator doors open. I'm, I'm on my way out to go for a walk in the morning. And this very large 6'5 man gets in the elevator and he puts his hands on my shoulders. And he says in the very whiskey breath, you know, how much or do I take? And it took me seven floors for me to understand what he was saying to me. And when I got to the lobby, I wrestled from under his arms. I ran outside and I realized when I picked my head up that I was in the middle 
of the red light district of Geneva. And I, it, it annoyed me. It made me very angry that uh, online, the type of information about safety was nowhere to be seen. So in all of the hotel booking engine sites and review sites, there was nothing to uh, inform a vulnerable traveler, such as myself as a female, that this was not a good place for me. And that was the genesis. I also had been to Kenya and seen young ladies with their heads shaved, walking to school, uh, and their parents dressed them like this so that they wouldn't be raped. Because if they got raped, they would I'd probably get HIV and pregnant. So, you know, in needing to create safer tools for women and vulnerable people to navigate, these two were the, the kind of the genesis. And in 2016, I pivoted from my consultancy and began to develop WanderSafe. So, it, first of all, somebody tries to assault you and hmm. and this was all because of the travel arrangement business. And then during your travel in Kenya, you see the, the women who, and then you decide, well, there has to be a, a way to protect, you know, somehow. To fix this, that's, yeah. That's, that's the idea. Now, how did that become a business? Uh, what, what was it that finally, because in working for multinational companies, especially travel, you know, it, it's, 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 it's for a lot of people, it's a dream life. You, you're traveling around the world and then you are staying in hotels, not necessarily hopefully yeah. district. Better uh, hotels. But, yeah, and, and you are getting paid handsomely. And because also you are constantly on the road, you don't really get to spend your money somewhere. So you end up, I guess, saving. So exactly. How do you go from that to saying, okay, I'm now doing this? What was the catalyst? It, it was um, a promise I made to these young ladies in Kenya that I would develop a solution for them. And having a background in digital transformation and me understanding how ecosystems work in a, in a business, um, I spoke with a retired CIA safety expert named Thomas Pecora. He was in the CIA for 27 years. And I asked him, like, what did the CIA teach about safety? Because that's really the problem that my business is solving, is how to navigate safer and be better prepared. And Thomas said to me, Steph, safety, as we teach in the CIA, comes down to three things, information, environmental awareness, and equipment. And when he said equipment, I leant in and I said, tell me about equipment. Is that like tasers and things? He said, no. Before we teach weapons training in the CIA, we first understand that bad things happen in the dark. So, you know, if you have a flashlight at the ready, then you are better prepared. Um, if you can distract someone and, you know, make take their mind off of their intention, i.e. a strobe light, then you can uh, buy yourself some time. If you can call for help, so if there's a siren or a bell or alarm of some sort, you can attract attention or scare something off. But if you have a means to ask for help quickly, i.e. a Bluetooth button that works with an app, then you are 87% less likely that someone will put their hands on you. And it was that information that became the basic premise for WanderSafe, my business now. We make a nonviolent personal safety device and an app that pairs with it. And between these two, 
in the Internet of Things, we're able to create a, a safety ecosystem where people can, one, signal for help very quickly. They can distract someone from putting their hands on them. They can make a very loud noise. And their loved ones who need to know will know where they are within 10 minutes and be able to accurately locate them within three meters. Mm. Okay, so we'll dig into this because I want people to understand how this works. And also you have uh, some things that you're planning on uh, in order to launch in the US and things like that. So we'll, we'll call out for some people who may wanna collaborate with you and things like that. We'll get into those. But I want you to tell me, so from the moment that you decided, okay, this is what the product is going to look like. This is, these are the components. Tell me your story because that I almost fell off my chair when you told me the whole story about how you, everything you went through. So walk me through <laughs> and then I want listeners sure. to hear. That's, that's the sure. part that, that really inspired me and I want everybody to hear it. Sure, sure. Well, we started building our product um, after being in a Silicon Valley boot camp, if you would, for female founders. I raised about 1.5 million in venture funding for R&D to be able to develop a prototype. I got samples, I, I played around with electronics. I'm not an engineer, so I disclose I had no uh, basic understanding of, of uh, electronics at all, but I knew what I wanted and I drew this design and I went through this process. So after we launched it and sold some of our product to Bookings.com, to Revlon, and to Deloitte for their traveling staff, I decided that it was time to scale the business. So I went to Africa in September of 2019 to speak at a conference and to launch WanderSafe into Nigeria, where they have 10,000 women and girls a day that are sexually assaulted. So very big blue ocean, very much in need. And um, I, I did a week in, in Lagos and then I flew to Delhi. I did a week in Delhi meeting with the bookings.com satellite office. And then I flew back to Australia. And then the next day I went to Boston for a meeting and I spent four days in Boston. But uh, on the fourth day, we were meant to fly back to Sydney and I was in the airport in the lounge and I had a seizure and I didn't wake up for two weeks. And I was ambulanced out of the hospital and it took the, the staff of Massachusetts General 22 hours to diagnose that I had been bitten by a mosquito in Africa that gave me the world's deadliest parasite. So at the time, because it was exactly two weeks from the day, the parasite had multiplied in my bloodstream to where 8% of my blood volume was parasitic. And as a result of that, I had complete organ failure. It was like someone stuck a broom in a bicycle spokes, like everything shut down. So I'm in a coma. My family are called to come and inform that I'm going to die. Like three times in this coma, Harvard doctors said, her life is unviable, she will not live. And um, by a miracle, I, I came through after the third time and woke up, but when I woke up, I was completely paralyzed. I couldn't scratch my own nose. Um, and it would be the beginning, and this is October of 2019, of a three-year journey that had me in the hospital for more than 440 days. 
I'm going on Saturday for my 40th operation. And as a result of irreversible damage, I wound up losing both of my feet and becoming a bilateral osseointegrated amputee in uh, February, March of 2021. So I've just about hit two years of, on my bionic limbs, but um, I'm grateful to be here and whole and thriving, you know, despite an enormous curve, you know, when the world was going through the pandemic and suffering in that way, I was fighting my own battle in the hospital alone in a foreign country, uh, dealing with the, the back end of cerebral malaria. So first of all, after being bitten by this mosquito, you have no idea what just happened. And for two weeks, you're going full steam ahead, traveling around. I mean, I, I heard you mention you flew multiple 40,000 kilometers, 40,000 kilometers in two weeks. In so two I thought weeks. I had jet lag. I thought I had jet lag. I just thought, you know, airplane flu. And all this time, this bacteria was multiplying in your system. Yep. So finally, more of each other. <laughs> and in finally in Boston, and then you fly to Boston, and in Boston, it takes a hit. Yeah. And I had deteriorated to where I was, you know, I don't even remember the day. And I have a really good memory, but I don't even remember that Sunday. So this was 2019? Yes. September 29th of 2019. So you went down and th that's when you went into coma altogether? Or? Yeah. Yeah. I had a seizure in the airport lounge and I was ambulanced out unconscious and I would not wake up for two weeks. Two weeks. So two weeks later, you wake up. You are in a hospital in Boston still. Yep. And tell us about what's going I mean, you are not... So what what was happening then? You, you find yourself in bed and you're obviously, you just lost everything and now you wake up two weeks later. So uh, describe to us what was going on there. Well, when I woke up, I one, um, I remember my business partner, Fiona, she had flown to Boston from Canberra, Australia. And I remember her voice in the coma speaking to me, explaining that I had cerebral malaria. I was very sick but I was surrounded by people who loved me and I was going to be okay. So I'd heard that. But when I woke up, you know, I, and I couldn't move, I, I thought that someone had put a lead sheet over me because it didn't dawn on me that I was the one that was unable to move. I thought I was being restrained in some kind of way for whatever reason. So it was a very confusing time. Uh, but, you know, I was there like lying there going, okay, hands move and my hands wouldn't move and my nose itched because there was tape on it <laughs> and all I was so frustrated and I had a tube down my throat so I couldn't say anything so one there's no buzzer to press to call the nurse I can only move my eyes and no one knows I'm awake so I sat there for almost 24 hours the first 24 hours watching the hands of the clock go around unable talk? to move I had a tube down my throat well, you couldn't talk either. No. So it was, you know, a very odd experience, if you would. But, you know, in, in waking up, my family were near my bed. They all looked very surprised and, and sad. Like there were a lot of tears. And I would later learn that the tears were 
one of joy and gratitude that I lived, but also incredible fear because no one knew the extent of the damages or what that would mean for my life moving forward. Going from being an active CEO and a single mom to a teenager and all of these things that I was, you know, it was a grinding halt to my life just stopping. And my family were like, I don't know how she's going to deal with this. So I saw fear in their eyes as well as joy, you know, when I woke up from the coma. So, so you wake up two weeks later, you are out of coma, mm -hmm. except that you are paralyzed. You can't talk, you can't do anything. And you are in bed and you are in Boston. And I'm in Boston and my feet were in bandages and my hand was bandaged. So, you know, I had these inc this incredible pain and um, I didn't really know what had happened to my feet, but my toes were turning purple and I had a huge pressure blister on my hand. Um, my fingertips were turning black and, you know, no one could really explain to me what had happened. Um, and no one could tell me what was going to happen either. So, you know, my feet are severely painful. They're, my toes are turning purple. I can see them sticking out of bandages, purple. Um, what that was, was necrosis. Because during the coma, when doctors told my family I had five minutes to live, they said, we can give her these drugs called vasopressors, adrenaline drugs. And what those vasopressors do is they send all your blood to your heart. So they basically rob your extremities to give it to your vitals. And they warned my family that one, that's the only thing they could do at this time. But if they did it, it would be highly likely I would have irreversible damage. And my family just said, give her whatever you need to save her life. She'll deal with it. But waking up for me to see that my feet had been robbed of blood and my fingertips, hence the, the purple was the beginning of those appendages dying. Um, that would be a very much a wait and see kind of experience on what was to happen next. So how long did that last? How long were you in that state in hospital, not knowing what's going to happen? Well, I stayed in Boston for 45 days. And my attending, Dr. Greg, said, you know, Stephanie, cerebral malaria kills 97.7% of the people it infects. So we don't have data on what the recovery journey is going to look like for you because there isn't any. That 2% of the population that survives such a trauma is not recorded or collated. And this was the first case of cerebral malaria that Massachusetts General Hospital ever had. So there was no you know, premise for, for what the next steps would look like. So they couldn't tell me uh, what... It's going to take a month, three months, four years, you know, nothing. So it was a question of would my, how much of my body was damaged, how irreversible it was, what would grow back, what wouldn't. Um, but my travel insurance company demanded that I be repatriated back to Australia here. So they were trying to get me out of Massachusetts General and back to Sydney so that the medical teams here would pick up on that care and look after me. So uh, we moved, we came back to Australia about the 5th of November. And then I went straight into the hospital. So it was just the beginning of a, of a long journey. Um, my toes were so damaged 
that they were irreversible. And what the body does, Nick, it's really interesting, it demarcates. So it separates the dead thing from the live thing. So you could see how the tips of my fingers were, the, the dead bits were separating and coming away from the healthy tissue. But um, we, we waited to do any medical intervention like surgery until the 15th of February of 2020. So that was the beginning of my surgical journey was 2020 in February. But I spent from February 15th to July 4th in the hospital. So complete isolation during lockdowns and the pandemic by myself. And that was, you know, incredibly trying just as much as I was in physical pain, the isolation was really challenging. So, I mean, that's what I was just about to say. It's all this is happening and you're now back home in Australia. You are in hospital, February, 2020. And COVID is just starting to come out, right? It's hitting the whole world in a way that, that nobody has seen for God knows, you know, since the Spanish mm. flu. And nobody knows what the cure is. People are dying. And then everything that we saw in the movies is happening. And here you are in the hospital, you're fighting for your life. And you see your body, you know, transforming. It, it's, uh, I mean... I cannot even imagine how he must have been feeling. This, this is incredible. Yeah, I, I, I look back at that experience and a very wise friend of me said, you know, Steph, the universe doesn't work against you. It works with you. And I had stood up in Geneva at the UN in 2019 and declared that I was on a mission to impact a billion lives by 2025. And I kept on saying that through 2019, I would open any presentation with that mission leading at the fore of the conversation. And uh, this wise person, she said, you know, the universe is recalibrated to give you the means to deliver on that mission. So see it as a bridge. And when you get across the bridge, you'll know that you've come out the other side. And it'll take you to where you're supposed to be. So, you know, often people say, I'm so sorry when they, when they ask me what happened or they hear about it, but I'm actually not sorry because the growth that I experienced through adversity was definitely a teacher for me and to learn how strong I was and to learn uh, patience in a new way and, you know, to, to focus on things outside of my own bubble of pain were really, you know, quintessential uh, themes throughout this entire journey. And I can say that I grew as a person, as a mother, as an entrepreneur, you know, having to go through such a very difficult time. I mean, you, your, uh, your, your story as far as what you went through, we're going to get to how you come out the other end in a minute but what i am dying to know is so you have you from february to july you go through the the surgery and and you lose your your feet in the process no first i lost my toes and my heels so they 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 were very conservative to take only what was dead and demarcating meaning separating from the body so I lost all 10 of my toes and the caps of my heels to the bone. So there was parts of the foot left over. They weren't 
they were unrecognizable, but there were still things at the bottom of my legs. But we did skin grafts, we did stem cells, we did hyperbaric treatments, and my heels just would not grow back. The skin wouldn't cover it. And we had, you know, worked on this for so many operations after I was having surgery almost every 10 days. So we, you know, it's like, keep at it. Try, try, try our hardest. There's no time to recover from one surgery and now you're going into another. Yeah. And that's why they kept me in the hospital for, for so long was to, uh, to be able to make sure that I was, you know, not at risk for an infection or going to do something on them that I shouldn't. So that's, you know, kind of the reason for the extreme hospitalization. But as I said, you know, more than 440 nights, that's extreme hospitalization, oh, yeah. you know, more than a year. So in July, so uh, what happened in July? Is it from February to July? They let me come home because they wanted to, you know, give me time. So I would have a nurse come in to see me every day. But then I went back in in August and back in in September and back again. But that period of of February to um, to July was one chunk of solid time. But then there were more two weeks here, three weeks here, go home for two weeks, come back. And it was a little less um, segregated in the treatment. But ultimately, you know, as we got through, but we when we got to February of 2021, so it'd been a year since I lost my toes and my heels. I was in a wheelchair for two years. So we got to this point in treatment that there just was no hope. So the, the option was to do a, a huge um, graft of my side and put that on my heels and revascularize that. And I would lie in bed for three more months and not move in hopes that that would cover and grow on my heels or the other, which was amputations. And um, I met my surgeon at TED, you know, the ideas worth spreading TED Talks uh, in 2015. And so there's a doctor who specializes in robotic surgery. And I miraculously met him before I ever knew I needed him. But when we get to this point of no return with my heels, um, I go and see him and he says, look, uh, if you give me those feet, I'll have you walking within two weeks. So it took me three weeks to think that through because amputations are a very permanent decision. There's no coming back from them. So, you know, he wanted me to, to make sure that I had thought about it, but I was in so much pain and all I wanted was my mobility back and to get back on my feet, no pun intended. So it, it didn't take me a, a very long time to make that decision that I would have my feet amputated and uh, and take bionic surgery as my option to to mobility again. So from really the, the whole incident happened in September 2019 all the way up to February 2021. It's mm -hmm. the whole time of and while COVID is running rampant and doing all kinds of damage, you you've gone through this slowly your toes your heels heels and and then finally in february 2021 you make the decision to have your feet amputated yeah that was the only choice because it wasn't healing so i really i'd run out of options at that point 
and you know not being able to swim or take a take a bath so i couldn't immerse my wounds in anything i love the ocean i'm puerto rican so i really wanted to get parts of my life back that i could so you make the decision to have this the the buy so you become a bionic woman Really. I have indeed. I have. <laughs> well, well, I've never had a bionic woman as my guest, so this is uh, another first. So, um, mm -hmm. joking aside, so how long did that take? The, the, did he really get you on your feet in two weeks? Yes. Um, and if you you know look at my Instagram, which is Digital Goddess on Instagram, that I document the journey. But you can see uh, me in a hoist standing on parallel bars, standing and putting weight through my stomas, which are poles that go to my knee. And then, you know, my first steps walking, it took eight weeks of medical rehab to get me fit and, and strong enough to stand because I'd been in a wheelchair and not upstanding for two years. So the muscles kind of deteriorate, but sure. he was correct. I, I was upstanding and putting weight through my, my stomas. And uh, I got my first pair of prosthetics not very long after. So when is it that you finally recovered as much as you could from something like this, where you are functioning daily, attending to your, your needs and thinking business? So when was that well, we're still, we're always going to be a work in progress, Nick. Like, as I said, I'm having my 40th surgery on Saturday. I needed a full hip replacement in August of last year, and I'll get the other one done this year. So the, the cerebral malaria, you know, surviving it is one feat, but, ir, you know, reversing the damage that it, it created uh, has been a challenge and that's just something that i'll deal with for as long as i'm lucky enough to breathe oxygen so you know there are various stages of better and good but we'll never be recovered from that we'll always be kind of a work in progress but it was last year that i could start thinking about the future because when i was in treatment for for the first two years the only thing i could think of was getting through the end of the day like God just helped me get to the end of today. I couldn't think about next week. There was no future. It was like just spend minute by minute by minute and, and hang on because the pain was excruciating, the discomfort, the inconvenience, being in a wheelchair it was pretty miserable. But I returned back to Africa in March of last year and gave a TED talk in uh, South Africa, which I was very pleased to be able to do, um, resume some of my travel. I've been speaking at conferences and things about Wander Safe and about resilience. So I think 2020, 2022 was probably where we started to turn the corner on stability. Yeah. So uh, you had you, you had raised capital to start the business before this mm -hmm. thing happened, right? Yes. So uh, that that all came to a standstill, I assume, when when this thing happened. So yes. um, how does I want you to because this to me is the real story in terms of the soul mm -hmm. that 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 you put to work, so to speak. Uh, how do you go from 
having so many surgeries and almost losing your life. And, you know, this is, doesn't matter how strong you are. We are human beings. It, it affects mm -hmm. us. So how do you go from that to the fight, into get into this fighting mode to build the, to build the business, uh, pick it back up again, and then start building it? Did you have a team or uh, tell us about that transformation from uh, saying, okay, now I'm going to do it. What, what, how, how did that feel? What did you go through? Sure. Well, my co-founder, who is my technical co-founder, his name is Paolo. And uh, Paolo, you know, stood by and updated our software every time the phones would update, you know, because we make an app, we have to update our technology in the app, etc. So we pulled our stock out of duty free right before the pandemic. So we, we got all of our, our beacons back and put them in our warehouse when I got sick. My investors, for the most part, have been very patient because truth be told, I was injured on the job. So, you know, being, being a startup with no workers comp, you know, no director's insurance, there was no one to sue. You can't sue a mosquito. So in bearing the brunt of this work-related injury, the investors pretty much had to give me grace, if you would, to recover in my own time. But we were also uncertain as to whether or not I would physically be able to resume the role as CEO and, and lead the vision of the company. Um, in the interim of me getting better, my co-founder uh, developed palate cancer and he underwent treatment for palate cancer at uh, the end of 2021, beginning of 2022. So it's kind of, we both had our moments of, you know, grace with each other uh, to be patient and to, to give each other time to, to do what needs to be done. But as far as re-entering re back into the ring, if you would, I believe that my life was spared for a reason. And I have to do all I can to deliver on that promise of a billion lives impacted by 2025 in gratitude for my life being spared. Well, I mean, that promise you made uh, is, is, sounds like that's what kept you going. It is. It is indeed. You know, I mean, it's such a miracle. I don't have any tattoos and I make this joke all the time, but if I were to get one, it would be, the number two and the percent sign. Because I remember every day in gratitude how lucky I am that I'm one of the 2% that's actually survived cerebral malaria and lived to tell that story. Um, and you know, the, the world didn't get any better with in relationship to domestic and sexual violence during the pandemic. In fact, domestic violence numbers rose significantly to what is now referred to as the shadow pandemic. So in looking at uh, how much worse a social problem got exacerbated because people were locked up with their oppressor, there was additional stress on the homes for you know, lack of money and opportunity and you know, the increased workload of women. So it's now more than ever is what we do necessary and important. And I just think if I'm, I'm blessed enough to still be here, I have to keep going. Well, I mean, there is there is nothing other than respect that 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 anybody can have for you. The, the respect for your 
commitment to it and uh, and doing this and and obviously in the process as you promised touching people's lives so uh, let's talk about the business end of this so you come up with this product uh, tell us about your strategy for distribution so how did you because a lot of the times that's part of the challenge people don't know they have a great idea it's a product but they don't know really how to sell so mm-hmm. give us your thoughts about how you decided to distribute your product well, I had an, uh, an advantage having consulted to duty-free companies uh, as a digital transformation expert. So not developing any products of my own, but advising them. Um, it was just an obvious to launch our product where we knew the market and a lot about them. And duty-free is a great place if you're making any kind of travel-related products to, to present yourself because you're gonna get some feedback very quickly on whether or not there's a product market fit. So we launched our product at the duty-free trade show in Cannes in 2018, and we received our first order on the day to be sold in flight on Etihad Airways. So, you know, when you get on the plane and you've got the catalog and you can pick what you want, a very analog, but it was certainly a great proving ground for us. So we went down that route of launching in duty-free first and seeing how the market behaved. Um, we, we distributed our product to some stores and brick and mortar in airports. But then, as I said, we took our, our product out. We thought about going on Amazon. We attempted to go onto the Amazon platform, but we, we had some friction because I'm physically based in Australia and our company is based in the United States. And the IP address that I would log into had trouble with getting listed on Amazon because of the know your customer and the validation process. So at that point, it became too hard. And we just began to only sell our product on our website. But again, in the three years of my recovery, we didn't want to overpromise and underdeliver any more than we could. So we were very conservative and kind of held back from updating our product or releasing anything new whilst, you know, I was pretty much in recovery, but we went and started in duty free, but we won awards. We won best new travel accessory of 2019 in the industry based on the opinions of 5,000 shoppers. So we know our product does something really great. People love it. We have great reviews. Um, and now it's just time for us to to think about how we improve that product moving forward. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's now talk about the product itself because it's a, it's a it's a significant item. It's not like something that somebody came up with an idea uh, to use in at home or in the kitchen or whatever. This is a mm-hmm. it impacts people's lives. So um, based on your conversation with the CIA former CIA person, a a strobe light is something that deters uh, somebody. Uh, So your product has a strobe light, right, in it, built in. As a flashlight, a strobe light, Mm -hmm. 140 decibel siren, which Mm -hmm. is very loud, and a silent Bluetooth button that if someone presses the Bluetooth button three times, SOS, Uh, It opens up the app from a locked screen and starts sending text messages through the app 
to who you, the user, put in the app that you'd like to know. So it could be your parents, it could be your partner, it could be your boss, it could be your boyfriend, it could be anybody. So, you know, looking at who would use our product and who it could be for, could be for remote workers. So Revlon bought our product for its traveling training hairdressers in Latin America who would go in after hours and teach color, you know, in a strip mall, if you would, which could potentially be unsafe. So employers looking at duty of care would purchase our product. Um, and, you know, senior citizens who want to live independently, not in a nursing home, but if they have a problem, they want to signal their kids, you know, mature kids want to tend to take care of their parents. We have parents buying it for their students, their, their college age students, especially study abroad. So we see different pockets of use cases based on um, how the product would be used. And um, I've seen it with great success meeting these people's needs. Well, I mean, this also, so when you activate this, all three go off at the same time, the, the siren, no. you can't choose. Yes. So you might put a light on it and it scares someone away. Yeah. Or you may, because you're really feeling fearful, just give it a tug and set the alarm off because that activates the light and strobe. So you might just go straight for the for the loud alarm and that typically will scare someone off. Most of these petty crimes like bag snatch, and, and they're not petty, but they're crimes of opportunity. So, you know, rape is a crime of opportunity. Um, somebody was in the wrong place at the wrong time and looks like they could be a potential target. So in equipping someone with these tools at the ready, they understand how they work. They work with gross motor skills, but it does create a success mindset. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, so as far as the messaging, so I'm assuming that you, you I heard you mention you have an app. So you, you have an app that you will download, install, and I, I'm assuming there's a configuration of it. So you decide who your contacts are that you want to message yes. to and then the things like that. So that as soon as you activate it, bang, those people get the message. So this exactly. actually is, you know, one of the things uh, in, in 21st century is people are living longer. And mm -hmm. a lot of those people living longer, they're living longer, but they're alone. They're divorced, single, whatever the case may be. So, mm -hmm. and of course, at some point, as you get older, living alone, you know, it, anything can happen. Sure. And if uh, those who've never been married don't have kids and or anybody, so not necessarily there is an attack situation, but mm. it's just some, somebody living alone. They can easily also use this. That's a whole different market. I just I just thought yeah. about that. Uh, mm -hmm. I thought you know. So there are many ways to apply. Well, I mean, it's it's a it's it's obviously. There are products out there that I, you know, I see on TV. You know, I, I, Bell, I can't get up, please. Help. You yeah. know, they're running those <laughs> commercials. In fact, one of those companies is uh, is someone that I that I know that runs. You know, I'm in New York City. We see in commercials. Uh, it's it's a friend who started that company. Wow, so it helps seniors, and um, so this is this is a it's, it's a great product. So one more thing that I want to ask, this is universal, right? So you buy yes. it anywhere, 
uh, in addition to sending messages, it also shows your location where you are so they can find you. Yes. So uh, talk to us about that. Talk to us about the technology behind that, how it can be universal. Sure. Well, we have users in 57 countries and how it works. We have an API and I don't want to get too geeky on this, but we have a, a plugin that gives a three word location that if given to first responders, because if you've ever seen longitude and latitude, the numbers are like that long. It's 0.047, right. no, 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 no. Well, no one can remember that. But the app will give you and also the person you're signaling three words like run Apple light. And that would mean the three meters square that you're in. But let's say, you know, I, I'm sending it to my dad. He's Puerto Rican. He only speaks Spanish. So instead of it being in English, he's going to get the three words in Spanish. So he can tell local authorities, my daughter is at run traffic light. And they will know exactly where I am on a map. So the ability to accurately locate someone within three meters uses an integration of some technology called what three words. And tell us about that. Uh, it's not something you develop. This is universally available for companies yes. to use, right? So yes. uh, tell us, tell us about that technology. Because I didn't. I'm, I'm a technology person. I'm supposed to be, mm. uh, and mm. I didn't know. I learned from you. So share that information with us. Well, it's just what three words? That's what it's called, and it was developed by a UK company, and we use a plugin of that. But it, it literally they've mapped the world in three meter squares and anywhere in the world and they've been able to transpose that into any language so you know google what three words and you'll be able to see how that technology works what that's just one integration into our platform other parts of our platform allow you to search a destination to know before you go so you could go in in the search bar and look up san francisco and see where any users have left any breadcrumbs around a potential threat or homeless people or prostitutes or drug use or a deserted lot or poor lighting. So before you run an Airbnb, this would be a really wise thing to do would be to look up the neighborhood. So, you know, our goal is to create dynamic safety ratings in real time, mm -hmm. which no one's ever managed to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is a, this is a hell of a story. I mean, I cannot, I cannot imagine what you've gone through and and where you you brought the company to so uh, what what are, what is your next business milestone so to speak what what are you trying to accomplish next well one we'd love to get on amazon and be able to sell our product effectively uh, because it's such a great marketplace but also we are in discussions with one of our existing clients we built a back end system that allows for a head of security if they have human assets around the world, like Revlon or like Deloitte or like Bookings, to be able to, if one of their employees activates that SOS, to be able to take that call and assist that person, being able to see on a map where they are and guide them through the and to help them navigate where they are. So we built this backend platform and we're piloting that with uh, one of our enterprise customers. So moving into that software as a service space, in addition to our uh, commercial sales and consumer sales of our beacons. Mm -hmm. Well, anybody listening to the show, I'm sure uh, 
they would want to reach out and then maybe there are opportunities for collaboration so uh, anybody listening uh, we'll, we'll have stephanie's contact information so uh, reach out to her for sure um, so um, i want to go back to your promise you made uh, mm -hmm. to affect one billion lives by 2025 tell us where did that come from what was the reason is it is it one thing that suddenly said to you this is what i must do or is it the combination of things kind of coming together well i mean i believe in in setting big goals you know if you set small goals you're going to achieve small things so in looking at impact and and looking and basing things on impact it's not that i want a billion downloads of my app no when we talk about lives impacted for every person that goes to work school worship sport unhindered there's a positive impact in a community the same way that if someone is assaulted there's the cost to the community to the taxpayer for the rehabilitation of that person lost wages at work to prosecute the offender you know all of these things so these incidents aren't free and in fact the un sustainable development goals underpin the means of ending gender-based violence so if we're going to promote access to education you know fair work for people in creating a more livable planet you know as part of the un sustainable development goals if we don't address the safety problem then we're not going to achieve these things and of the 17 sdgs uh the one about ending gender-based violence is the one that requires no infrastructure it's of zero cost to the population to decide that enough is enough. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Without safety and security, nothing else matters, right? I mean, that's that's the anything that you want to do in your life. The first thing is to feel safe and have the mm -hmm. safety and security of the environment. That's why you have the the equal protection under the laws and things like that it's all about feeling uh, that uh, stability so i i want to dig a little bit more in terms of setting big goals why why do you feel that you need to set big goals because it's not not everybody does that you know where, where do you think that came from i don't know to be quite honest, um, I've just been an overachiever and one to, you know, not be afraid to take risks and to attack big problems. And uh, it's just in my DNA. It's how I'm wired. But um, in, in deciding that, you know, in order to make an impact and I, I there's an interview of me online and I said to the to the TV host, I was on TV, you know, my two things I wanted. One was to give a TED talk. And the other one was to win a Nobel Peace Prize for addressing the problem of violence against women and bringing a solution forward for that. And that's what I was working on. So I, I articulated these things to manifest them because even if it's 5 million or 20 million or 500 million, it's still a good number for everyone that we impact. You know, there's you no failure in that. One person is enough already. Mm -hmm. And you, you're going for one billion. I mean, that's a, 
That's it. So is everybody in your family an overachiever like this growing up? Do you have any siblings? I, I have half brothers and sisters. Um, but no, I think I'm very unique in my DNA. Uh, I'm the only one of my kind. So um, I'm a love child from the 60s. So yeah, I'm, I'm the only one of my kind. Uh, but I think, I don't know. I think it's just what I was meant to do. So growing up, probably some things you've, you've seen, experienced growing up pushed you that way. Well, I mean, I grew up in a, in a home environment that wasn't very safe. And a lot of the work that I do in understanding my why uh, is a direct reflection of wanting to right some of the wrongs that I experienced in my own childhood and subsequently in life. Okay, so now, now, now we're talking... <laughs> I, I I can see because I had a guest, Stephanie. Uh, this this is a gentleman who's an Amazon seller, uh, but I always, you know, at the end of every episode, I always like to get to know the person because it's it's what drives us, is what makes us, mm. right? So uh, that's if anybody listening, if they can figure out what is driving them, in the end, they can figure mm. out where it will drive them to. <laughs> so sure. Uh, so he he said he's an eight-figure Amazon seller. He sells not wow. only through Amazon, uh, all over um, um, different channels. And he said that growing up, he was always told he was not good for anything. Mm-hmm. And his 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 father always discouraged. And so, but he was naturally good at things. Mm-hmm. So he would succeed. So he says he says that this is actually uh, in the episode he he purposely bankrupted his company just to prove just just to prove that he was not good at it and only <laughs> then, once he ended up in debt he realized no now that's it I'm done I hit the bottom mm-hmm. and and I need to now do it so now he's very successful but. Uh, it's it's all about you know the upbringing and what mm-hmm. so what I'm hearing from you is your focus on safety is is coming from those which only makes sense. So this was great, Stephanie. I'm uh, I mean I I can't find the right words to describe what you went through, nor I can even imagine. So uh, it, it's a hell of a story, and my hat is off to you for everything you've done, not from business but as from personal standpoint. Uh, share your contact information with us. We'll put that on the episode with, with the uh, the whole episode information, but uh, share with us how can people reach you? Um, if they are interested in WanderSafe, they can go to www.wandersafe, like to get lost, to wander, not wonder, wandersafe.com. But my personal Instagram and Twitter and everything is at digital goddess with one D. So I'm available and, and I, you know, post about my journey. As you mentioned earlier, I'm training for the Paralympics 2024 in wheelchair fencing. So I'm now a para-athlete in training. Um, and that's quite a lot of fun to, to, to witness um, as we move forward. And I'm on LinkedIn at Digital Goddess again. So um, I, I welcome collaboration. I'm grateful, Nick, for the, the chance to talk with you today and, and share my story. Oh, it's uh, it, it's my privilege, and uh, I love the conversation. 
and uh, I'm sure you will hear from people, Stephanie. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of another episode, and I'll see you on the next one. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure and subscribe, rate, and review our show. And be sure and share an episode with a friend. And thank you so much for being with us today. We'll see you next week here on Amazon Legends.